Father's Day, back to the beginning. We read from Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 through 28. As you take a look through the scriptures, it becomes quite obvious that fatherhood is a God-given role, uh, but it is a God-given privilege with God-given responsibility. In Ephesians, the sixth chapter, in about verse four, is where the Apostle Paul said, Fathers, bring up your children in the training and the discipline of the Lord. And if I, Ephesians 5 and verse 23 is where he wrote that the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is also the head of the church. And then in Ephesians 5 and verse 25, he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for us. So as we take a look at those passages, it becomes abundantly clear, along with others, that God made the father, the man, the head of the household. Puts that responsibility on him. Bring up those children. He's also the head over the wife, but he's to love her. So this role that he has is to be fulfilled in a loving, sacrificial kind of way. So there's three points we're going to take a look at this morning. And that is, fathers, take the lead, and then follow your heavenly father, and then how to lead by following. So that's the introduction. Happy Father's Day. Now let me give you this little story. There was a first grade teacher, knowing that Father's Day was fast approaching, she said to her class, Tell me, what was the best advice that you ever received from your father? Immediately, a little boy shot his hand up, and she said, Yes, what was it? He said, The best advice I ever got from my dad was, Let's don't tell mom about this. <laughs> sounds, like, sounds like good advice. Father's Day. Back to the beginning. I want to give you another illustration. It was September 1976. I walked into the front office, General Motors Assembly Plant, Fairfax, Kansas. Fairfax Assembly Plant, Kansas City, Kansas. I had been hired there. I sat down, had a seat, and just a little bit of supervisor showed up, and we walked from that office out onto the plant floor. And the very first thing I saw was cars, brand new cars, being driven off the end of the assembly line. I wasn't staying there. He said, follow me. And so we started down through the plant. And as we went along, I noticed there's people everywhere, lots of people. And lots of tools and lots of machines and all kinds of things. And the further we went, I started to notice these cars now miss pieces until we got further along. And there were a lot of pieces that were missing. And then pretty soon there was no paint. And then it was just a body. And then we got far enough to where there wasn't even a body. There was a frame on a pallet that was connected to a conveyor system. That's where it started. We'd gone all the way back to the beginning. I walked in. I saw the finished product. And within just a few moments, I got to kind of survey that whole system there all the way back to the beginning. And as I looked around and I saw all these people and all this movement and all these tools and conveyor systems, it just seemed kind of chaotic. 
to me. I learned a job. And then I learned a lot of jobs. And then I became a team leader. And then I became an auditor, grading that product that was built. And then I became a problem solver. What's wrong in the system? But the first time I saw it, I thought, this is just kind of chaotic. But let me tell you something. That assembly plant is over 70 acres under one roof. On one shift, there's over 2,000 employees. There's over 60 miles of chains and conveyors throughout that. And there are tools, hundreds, thousands of tools. And do you know how many parts go into a car? Roughly 10,000. Six o'clock in the morning, somebody hits the switch, and all of a sudden, it works. It's like a well-choreographed dance, and it all fits together. Somebody designed it. It had a purpose. And you come to understand where you fit in. Back to the beginning. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 through 28, is what we read this morning. And that's God with creation. And what I want us to notice, just first of all, the first point is, fathers are to take the lead in that system. And all I'm saying at this point in time is, just simply that point that the fathers are to take the lead, not how they take the lead, just simply that they are to take the lead. So I want to read to you from Psalms 128. I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. Beginning at verse 1, Psalms 128. How joyful are those who fear the Lord. All who follow His ways. Who's He talking to? Keep reading and you'll come to understand who He's talking to. How joyful are those who fear the Lord. All who follow His ways. You will enjoy the fruit of your labor. How joyful and prosperous you will be. Your wife will be like a fruitful grapevine flourishing within your home. Your children will be like vigorous young olive trees as they sit around your table. That is the Lord's blessing for those who fear him. Who's he talking to? He's talking to dads. And what he is saying essentially is, You want to be blessed in your life? Then follow God's ways. Do you want your wife to be blessed? Do you want your children to be blessed? Then follow God's ways. And that's what he's saying. You're going to be blessed if you follow the Lord. It's not saying how yet. It's just saying that's the first principle. You want to be blessed in life? Then follow after the Lord. And so God has given men, fathers, that role within the home. And we need to come to understand that. And come to understand how you're going to be blessed. Now that's a short first point. Because it leads to the second. It starts to get into the how. 
And the way in which you're going to be blessed in leading your home is by learning to follow your Heavenly Father. Now I want to make this point before we go much further. As you read through the pages of the New Testament, and you read the words that Jesus spoke on more than one occasion, on numerous occasions, and in my outline I put down uh, Matthew the 19th chapter, verse 4 and 5, and there's a practice that Jesus had. And the practice that he has in answering people that oftentimes he points back. And he will point all the way back to the beginning. And in Matthew the 19th chapter, when they come and they ask him, excuse me, about marriage, divorce, or remarriage, that's the context there. Here he goes once again. He says to them, Have you not read from the beginning? He made them male and female. Now, I'm not making a point about marriage, divorce, and remarriage right here. The point that I'm trying to make here is Jesus saying, you want to understand how this works? Then you need to think all the way back to the beginning. You need to see the big picture, how this all fits together. And he does that on numerous occasions. If you want to understand where you fit in and what God's plan is, you need to take into consideration the whole picture. And so that's the way it does. How did the creator, how did the designer intend for this to all work together? Now we come to that leadership. See, a lot of times we talk about rule in the home and we talk about authority within the home. And so we have to ask ourselves, well, where did, that, where did that concept come from? So I want to read to you from Genesis chapter 1. And what we come to discover is that concept for authority, for rule, it begins right there on page 1. In Genesis 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, And the earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And then God said, let there be light, and there was light. I'll just stop right there for a moment. What do you see in Genesis 1, verses 1 through 3? In the beginning, God created. You know what He created? He created a home. He created a space where we could live. And then what did he do after that? And then he said, let there be light. So he created a space and then he started to exert his authority over that space. And we see that. And so Jesus says, Have you not read from the beginning? Do you know how this all started? And what God intended from the beginning? And so when we come to understand that, it starts to help men, fathers, understand their role 
within the home. So God creates. And then he begins to bring order. And in Genesis 1, as you read through the rest of Genesis 1, you see that entire home that is created there. But as you witness that entire home that is created there, you also see God exert his influence, his authority over that home. And so where does the concept of rule and authority begin? It begins right there in Genesis 1. This is the first home. This is our heavenly father. And this is what he creates. And then he exerts his authority over it. So what do you see as you read down through Genesis 1? You'll see day 1, day 2, day 3, day 4, day 5, day 6. And at the end of each one of those days, what does it say? And God saw all that he had made and it was good. Until he gets to the sixth day. And then what does he say? He creates man and woman in his image and he says it is very good. Now I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but I would encourage you to read Genesis 2. It goes along with this story. Because you know what it says after that? After creation is completed in Genesis 1, on the seventh day, what does God do? He rests. Why? Because he's tired? No, he's not tired. He's done. He's completed. I don't know who he designed that assembly plant. But once it was all designed and completed, they stopped. And then they put the stuff in it. They put the people in it. Genesis 2. And then God took the man, put him in the garden. The actual word that's used there, about verse 15, he rested him in that garden. You know what that means? It was all complete. It was just as God had designed it. And then he took man and he put him in it. There it is. It's ready to go. It'll function just the way he intended for it to function. You read Genesis 1 down through verse 25 and it's all complete. And then there's this amazing verse in verse 26. And then he says, let us make man in our image. Adam. Hebrew, Adam. Let us make Adam in our image. From Genesis 2, Adamah, the dirt, the dust. Verse 7, Genesis 2. 
And God formed the man from the dust of the ground and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and he became a living soul. And then in Genesis 2, he took the man and placed him in the garden. The one who is made in his image. Now I want to suggest to you also right there at that point that there's been a whole lot of discussion about what that means exactly. That he was made in God's image. Does that mean he's rational? He's moral? He's intellectual? He's emotional? He's spiritual? What does that mean? He's capable of having relationships? Any part of that? All of that? Well, I want to read to you from verse 27 and verse 28. And I believe the context itself gives us insight into what he's talking about. Genesis chapter 1, beginning at verse 27. So God created... Man in his own image, in the, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and all the animals that crawl upon the ground. So as you read that, Adam Made in God's image. For what purpose? Verse 28. To rule. To rule. So what these passages tell us is. Who God is. Who we are. And what we're supposed to do. What's our purpose? Humans, in his image, made like him. And what do humans do? They rule like him. One writer put it this way He said, We are representatives of a beautiful mind. A beautiful mind. That was the architect, designer, builder, creator of everything from the beginning. And what does that beautiful mind do with his power and with his authority? He creates a good space. He gives life. He gives daytime, nighttime. He gives seasons. He gives atmosphere. He gives plants and birds and animals. Water and us. And all the pieces are there. And he brings it into order. An ordered space. For what purpose? For life. Creates life. A place for life. And he puts man in charge of it. Can you see that? 
the chaos becomes an ordered space. And God places his image over it. Now here's a little irony to go along with that. So in Genesis 1 and verse 28, it says, God created man in his image. You know what word that is? It's the same word that is used in various other places throughout the Old Testament. It's the same word that is used for idol. Does that strike a note? God tells Israel, do not create for yourself any graven image, any graven idol. Don't do that. But what did God do? He created an image. In His image. And so what He's telling man is, don't ever try to repeat what I did. Because I've already done it. And you can't do it. And anything that you create is going to be less than me and it's going to be less than you. You can't create anything that is a true reflection of me. And by doing so, you will just diminish yourself. Don't do it. God already did it. Images of Him. And you know who that is? That's you. (laughs) And that's me. Look around. There's a room full of images here. Images of God. That's what Genesis 1 tells us. That's who we are. And what were we created for? He tells us the purpose. So that we might rule over that which He has created. We are the embodiment of God, of His image. A good God created a good space and created an image and told that image now rule over it. So he uses his power and his authority to create a space and to organize all the parts of that space and bring order. Why? So that life can flourish. And he tells his image, let them rule and let them have dominion. Do you know what verse 27 and verse 28 actually is? It's referred to as a theological reflection. In other words, all the activity has taken place down verses 1 through 26, or verses 1 through 25, and then you come to verse 27, 28, And it's a reflection on what just happened. So by the time you get to verse 26, uh, creation is complete. He has created man and woman. He has declared that it is very good. And then listen to verse 27 and 28. So God created human beings. Now the New Living Translation. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and all the animals 
crawl on your own. That's a reflection of what took place in verses 1 through 26. So God creates Adam. Now, a lot of times we don't read that from the New Living Translation. Brian and I were talking about that just before class this morning. A lot of times we're familiar more with King James, New King James. And it will say that God created man. And as in His image, He created them. He created him, male and female. And we look at that and we kind of scratch it anyway. We go, what? <laughs> he created him, but he's male and female. He created him, but he created them. So was it a him or was it a them? Was it a male or was it a male and female? And so when you take a look at the language and you read from other translations, you come to understand. He created man, New Living Translation, humanity or human beings. So he created a single. That's a species. That's who we are. We're human. But that single is made up of two. It's male and it's female. And God knew what he was doing from the beginning. And isn't it unique that these two are distinct from one another, but they go together. And we won't have an anatomy class at this moment. I think we understand. And from the language that is used there, what does he tell them to do? He blesses them and tells them, multiply. That's how that works. <laughs> and fill the earth. And then subdue it. And reign over it. It's amazing. Adam is male and female. Oneness. Yet plurality. And that's how God chose to image himself and to have dominion and to rule over. God creates space, a space for life. He creates Adam, man and woman. He places them in that space to rule over that. Now I want to say something just quickly about having dominion. It carries with it that idea of to reign, to rule over, to subdue creation. Take a look around at the world in which we live in. It is an amazing place. You know, one of my favorite movies when I was a little kid was The Wizard of Oz. And you know that scene where all those little munchkins are running around and all that kind of stuff? And you look at that background there and there's plants and there's flowers and it's just this amazing kind of world. That world that I saw in the movies 
does not hold a candle to the world we live in. It is amazing as you take a look at it. We like to go to the Gulf. The Gulf is a lot of warm water, and those waters just teem with life. There's dolphins, and there's manatees, and there's crabs running around, and there's sea turtles, and there's fish. There's all kinds of things, and there's seagulls, and there's... It's just everywhere. And you take a walk out in the country, and there's flowers, and there's trees, and there's plants. I go for a walk in the morning down through the woods by our house, and there's deer, and there's rabbits, and there's squirrels, and there's this turtle crawling across the... Leaving the creek, crawling across the sidewalk. It's just everywhere. It's life. It's just flourishing. But now we have a guy like Kenny. Kenny likes to plant a garden. So he goes out there and he tills it up. I'm going to ask Kenny a question. You don't have to directly answer this. This would be kind of rhetorical. Kenny goes out there and tills up the ground. And I would just ask you, Kenny, if you till up that ground and then you just leave it, you don't do anything else to it. Will anything grow in it? Yeah. Weeds. <laughs> They'll just, it's like there's life. It just comes out. It's amazing. This world just sprouts life. But now, if Kenny wants to grow some vegetables, he goes out there and he tills the ground. And he plants some. They start to grow. And then he can eat some. But if he wants to share some, which he did, thank you very much this weekend, he grows enough, he can give some to somebody else. And let's suppose that someone had an apple tree. When we lived on the farm, we had a couple of peach trees, there was an apple tree. I don't know how they got there, but just there. But what if we wanted to supply enough peaches and oranges for everybody in town. Well, we might plant those. And then we could produce more. And then we could supply. See how that works? And we subdue it. And we rule over it. It's not the plundering that people are talking about today. Oh, they're just destroying the earth. No, what it's talking about it's all the parts are here. All the materials are here. And God said, I want you to rule over it. I want you to subdue it. It'll grow life for you. You just work it. If you go back and read Genesis 2, you know what it says? After God placed man in the garden, what he was supposed to do? Tend it. Keep it. <laughs> You've got a job. It's all here. And it'll produce food. There's life. And you have life. And, Adam and Eve, you can multiply. And you can create life. But a good God created a good space. And then he subdued it. He exerted his authority over it. Why? So that life could flourish. From the very first of the plant to
to the fish, to the birds, to the animals, to the crowning creature, creature, one made in his image. You're in an environment where you can have life. I want to share my life. And you can create life. And you can subdue this and rule over it. But I want you to do it as my representative in my image. And what is he? He's a good guy. So I want you to lead by following. Psalm 33. I want to point this out because now we talk about you lead by following. But he shows us something in Psalms 33 about how he wants us to lead. What's this get down to? I'm going to read from Psalms 33. I'm again at verse 4 and I'll read down through verse 9. For the word of the Lord holds true. And we can trust everything he does. He loves, watch, he loves whatever is just and good. The unfailing love of the Lord fills the earth. The Lord merely spoke and the heavens were created. He breathed the word and all the stars were born. He assigned the sea its boundaries and locked the oceans in vast reservoirs. Let the whole world fear the Lord and let everyone stand in awe of him. For when he spoke, the world began. And it appeared at his command. Now the translation says back in verse 5 that what he loves is righteousness and justice. And we've talked a little bit about this before, that concept of righteousness. It carries with it the idea of right relationships. There is a standard of right, equitable relationship. One writer put it this way. It's where you and I share our existence in this space. And I'm not more important than you and you're not more important than me. It's a space where we agree to exist together and for one another. There's a standard of how we relate to one another in this space so that life can flourish. I'll turn over to the book of Romans. The 13th chapter, because the Apostle Paul gives kind of a summary statement of this proper conduct. Romans 13, I'll begin at verse 8. Owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. 
For the commandments say, you must not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not steal, you must not covet. These and other such commandments are summed up in this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to others. So love fulfills the requirements of God's law. That's righteousness. But the writer of Psalms also says that God loves righteousness and justice. And justice is the action that you take to ensure righteousness. That's justice. In other words, here's the right conduct so that life can flourish and it's your responsibility to see that that's protected. That's the short version. So fathers, can you see that in the home? That God created a space and He created it for life. And He made it so that life could flourish. And fathers, you take the lead. You follow your Heavenly Father. And you preserve righteousness and justice. Don't hit your little sister on the head. Her life can't flourish if you continue to do that. That's not right behavior. And so we've got to exercise a little justice. The world we live in that God created is evidence of how good how powerful he is and how he exerts his authority. So in Ephesians 5, Paul says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself. This is the way you rule, with love, sacrificial love. Verse 33, let the wife see that she respects her husband, she understands what he's trying to do. In Ephesians 6, fathers bring your children up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. So God created them in his image and he told them to multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Take the lead, follow your heavenly father and this is how we follow him. This is how we lead. That's Genesis 1 and verses 26 through 28. I want to extend the invitation that any and all that are here this morning, and if we can help you, maybe initially enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus said, He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. If we could help you do that this very day, that's what we would desire to do. If you're a child of God and not been living as you should, you want to make your life right with Him, let us know while together we stand and while we sing.